morning. We're going to be looking at the story of Joseph today. And uh, just before we get into that, I want to welcome you to Portico. It's great to have you with us. Welcome if you're joining us from the video cafe or from our chapel venue. And also if you're watching online, great to have you joining us this morning. Uh, We're talking about Joseph, as I mentioned. And I don't know if you caught the last line of that video clip, but here's what they said. We will show him what it means to be a family. We'll show him what it means to be a family. And boy, did they ever. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Joseph. How many of you are? Quite a number of us here. This is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. And uh, if you're not familiar with this story, welcome to the saga of possibly one of the most dysfunctional families in the Old Testament. Well, maybe I'm being a little, a little uh, strong, but I guess what you could say is this. They were just like most families because, let's face it, most families are kind of messed up. Uh-huh. I'm hearing the little laughs and the giggles. Yeah, okay. Don't look at somebody else's family across the way. You just think about your own. Most families are a little messed up. And I want to give you a few highlights from the story that are going to help us understand the whole context when we do get to our text today, which uh, is in Genesis chapter 45. And so if you have your Bibles, you can get a head start, take your Bibles out, turn to Genesis 45. And if you don't have a Bible today, we can loan you one. Uh, Just raise your hand nice and high. Our ushers are ready to help you with that. Keep your hand up until they come and serve you. And then when you're finished with that today, you can just leave it on the seat before you go. Well, let's look at some of these highlights Joseph's dad, his name was Jacob, and Jacob didn't do Joseph any favors. Joseph was the favorite son. He was special. Uh, We prefer the term spoiled, don't we? He was spoiled. He was the youngest. That didn't endear him very much to his brothers, you know. There were ten of them at this time. The youngest, Benjamin, had not yet been born. But those older than Joseph, they were used to sort of what happens in a family. They were used to getting all the hand-me-downs. Anybody ever get hand-me-downs? No? Yes, lots of you have. Not Joseph, though. Even though Joseph was the youngest and probably should have got the most threadbare of these hand-me-downs from his ten brothers, his nine other brothers, instead Joseph got a special coat. His father, Jacob, made him a coat that was bright and very colorful. And because he got this special gift, that didn't make his brothers very happy either. It also didn't help that Joseph was a bit of a dreamer. And Joseph could come off as a bit arrogant at times. You see, although God had chosen Joseph and given Joseph his dreams and God was working in his life, Joseph did not have the wisdom at his early age to keep his mouth shut and just let God do what God was doing. And so all these factors caused Joseph's brothers to resent him more and more and more until one day they had had enough. And Joseph was coming out to the fields one day to see how things were going, to get a status report for their father, Jacob. And when they saw him coming, they said, here comes that dreamer, Joseph. And they began to plan and to plot his demise. Murder was first on the list. Nice family, eh? Yeah. Uh, My brothers are going to kill me. I mean, often brothers have said, I'm going to kill you, right? Come on. But, But we didn't really mean it most of the time. We might have played the fantasy out, but we didn't really mean it. 
And so they wanted to kill him. But in the end, Joseph's older brother prevailed on them not to murder him. He said, I know, let's just put him in a cistern and we'll leave him for dead. Because, you know, that's better, right? Than actually killing him themselves. Actually, Reuben's plan was to come back in secret and to release Joseph. But here's what happened. He was away from the camp for a little bit. And while he was away, this caravan came along. And so the other brothers decided, we'll just sell him as a slave. And so they got the money and they gave Joseph over and off he went as a slave to Egypt. Boy, they sure were teaching him how to be a family, weren't they? Maybe not in the very best way, though. You see, because we learn things from our family. Fast forward through a bunch of trying and difficult circumstances for Joseph, including a false rape charge. 10 years in prison, uh, interpreting some dreams, and then ending up in front of Pharaoh. Now to the text that we're going to look at today where the tables are finally turned and Joseph is in charge of all Egypt and his brothers have come, hats in hand, to get food for the family in the midst of this terrible famine. Joseph has not yet told his brothers who he is. And So we jump into the story now in Genesis chapter 45, and if you have it open, I'm going to read it for you, beginning at verse 1. And here's what it says. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And then he broke down and he wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, although I don't think they came really quickly. I think they were a little hesitant. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me with all your children and all your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and everything you own. And I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you, your household, and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. There must have been some kind of family resemblance, obviously. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same, and then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. What a twist to this story. And so we're talking today about breaking the power of the past in our Life Rhythm series that we've based on this book called Emotional Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And our community life groups, our small group Bible studies, they're all tracking with this material in your groups at home and also here at our CLG experience on Wednesday night. And we encourage you to come and check that out if you're not part of a community life group. 
Last week, one of the potential limiters in our lives that we talked about was, was family. Remember that? And we learned and understood that as followers of Christ, our identity comes from Him, and we can overcome the limitations of family through Christ's power. But we're going to take that just a little bit deeper today, particularly as it relates to the influence of our families on our lives. Uh, The impact of our past and the role that family plays in who we become has more influence than we like to give credence to or that we like to admit sometimes, doesn't it? Our families have an impact, and we want to look at that today. Uh, Psychologist Albert Pesso developed this theory that we are basically pre-wired, that five basic needs need to be met in order for us to have healthy development. And here, here they are. The need for place, first of all, that wonderful sense of belonging in a world that has been, you know, primed for and welcomes our arrival. Our parents have waited for the day that we would be born, and there is a place prepared for us. We need that. The need for nurture, words and gestures of appreciation and affection, uh, touch, being listened to, being held close. These are all things that we need for our emotional, physical well-being at each stage of development. And then support is another one, caring a caring and loving environment, the need for protection. We have this protection instinct over our children, don't we, to protect them from physical or emotional or even sexual harm. It's that that first thing that we teach them when the kettle is boiling on the stove and they reach for that. What do we say? No, right? It's hot. And we don't yell at them because we're upset. We yell at them because we're protecting. And then the last one is the need for limits or boundaries, because without boundaries, there are all sorts of challenges that can occur in life. Narcissism, you know, a total consumption with self, uh, promiscuous behavior, defiance of, of authority. Boundaries are important. Limits are important. And so place, nurture, support, protection, and limits. And when one or more of these things are not present in a family, all kinds of Long-term pain, suffering, and trauma can occur. Joseph's family had some major lack in a few of these areas. What about yours? What about yours? And so we're going to look at three things today that we need to do to look at in order to be able to break the power of the past in your lives as it relates to your family. So I want you to take out your sermon notes. If you're following along, we're going to fill in the blanks. And if you're using an electronic device, find the notes in the Uversion app under live events, and we're going to just jump right in in one second. The first thing you need to do in order to break the power of the past is to identify the impact of your heritage. Identify the impact of your heritage. What is the impact that your family heritage has had on your life? We've got to think about that. And in order to deal with it, we need to know what it is. We know already that, you know, Joseph's family was a little bit messed up, right? And we also know from this next verse that Joseph recognized that there was an impact that his past had made on his life. Look what it says in Genesis 41 and verse 51. It says that Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all of my trouble and all my father's household. Why did God need to make him forget Well, because there was a lot of sort of bad stuff that went on back there. And so as he goes to name his first son, he names him Manasseh. That means this, God has made me forget. And so Joseph definitely had had some trouble. And we look a little deeper at this next slide. 
uh, it's a tool called a genogram that helps us think through and visually see the possible impact that our family heritage may have had on us. You can do something like this with your own family tree. Your CLG leader can give you access to this free web resource. And uh, if you're not in a community life group, you can just email Pastor Josh, and I'm sure that he'll get it to you. But uh, it's kind of a little bit of a family tree chart, but you see what they've done there. What they do is they take and they look at the negative things from family experience and list them. So if you go all the way back to to, uh, Joseph's great-grandparents, to Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, the concubine, right? And we see that there were some negative stuff, lies in the family, sibling rivalry, Ishmael and Isaac. There was this, this constant fight favoritism that occurred. You know, Abraham uh, and, and uh, Sarah preferred Isaac, and, and they sent Ishmael away. There was all kinds of stuff that was going on. How many of you know that leads sometimes to an unhealthy marriage, right? And look at the next level, Isaac and Rebekah, same kind of stuff, lies, sibling rivalry, favoritism, unhealthy marriage. And you see how this begins to repeat in the cycle. We get to, to Jacob and Jacob in his family, two wives, two concubines. I do not recommend this, okay? <laughs> two wives and two concubines. And again, we've got lies and tension and sibling rivalry between the brothers, favoritism toward Joseph. And you see how these cycles begin to repeat. And when we look back at our family, it's good to be able to sort of list some of these things out and understand maybe where some of the tension comes from earthquake events that happened to Joseph. There's three down in the bottom left-hand corner. Betrayal by his brothers. Loss of country and family culture at the age of 17. Ten years of prison, unjustly charged. These are big things that happened to Joseph and can't help but have an impact in his life. And so we know, we understand this concept that, that our, fam- our family, our heritage, has an impact on us. We know it from the positive perspective that our family can influence. We count, it, we count on it, actually, in this positive way as we raise our kids, don't we? When we hold fast to that pro- pro- promise in Proverbs 22 and verse 6 that says, Start children off the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. We count on that in a positive way. Our culture today is even a little bit enamored by family heritage these days. We're hearing more and more about this. Have you heard of Ancestry.com? Anybody played with that a little bit? Yeah, you find out some interesting stuff? We all want to know about the good stuff, don't we? Like if there was royalty in the family. But if, if the royal line was lost because of a sordid affair with the gardener, we don't really want to hear about that, do we? I mean, it's way back, but, but you know, we, we want to understand these things about Ancestry. This idea that family has influence, it's obviously a common one in the Old Testament. The prophet Jeremiah references a saying or a proverb that was known and understood in those times when he says in Jeremiah 31 and 29, he says, the people in those days will no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. You know, this idea that that what happens to the parents also happens to the kids. For the children of Israel, they understood this concept. Based on, based on the, the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy chapter 28, when Moses said to them, you know, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth, and all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. 
And in that list of blessings in Deuteronomy 28, it includes things like children, family, as well as prosperity, blessing as a nation, and and all kinds of other great things. But then in verse 15, Moses comes back and says, "There's there's, there's a downside to this. If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow his decrees and so on, Uh, that all these curses will come on you. And again in the list, it includes crops and fields and children and all kinds of stuff. Frustration in all they did, broken relationships and so on. So what we do in our lives and with our lives impacts our families. and, And we also understand that we have been impacted by what our families before us did as well. We need to know this. We need to know this. Because our families help to shape and establish our worldview. Did you know that by the age of 11 or 12, 11 to 13, somewhere in there, that, that uh, a young person's worldview has been established? And so the parents have a huge, huge part in that. And we teach our kids in our homes to, to know and understand what this stuff is all about. Uh, In your CLGs this week, you're probably going to talk a little bit about the Ten Commandments of your family. These are not in your notes. If you want to just jot these ten things down quickly, that is what perspective or understanding gets taught to us in the context of our family, whether intentionally taught or maybe more often unintentionally modeled in these following ten areas. So the first one is money. Money is the best source of security. Some of us learned that growing up. The more money you have, the more important you are, or you need to make lots of money to prove that you made it. Or maybe you come from a family that never talked about money and that subject is off limits. What we understand about money, we we learn from our families. Conflict. What do we know about conflict? Uh, Do we avoid conflict at all costs? Was that how it was in your family? Nobody ever argued because if you argued, that was a bad thing, right? Don't get people mad at you. Don't rock the boat. Some families were like that. Some were exactly the opposite. Um, what we learn about sex. Is sex a topic that can be discussed? Or is it something that should never be mentioned openly? Right? Uh, my, in my home when I was growing up, never one time did we ever talk about this subject. And folks, if you have young people in your homes today, you need to talk about it. And uh, because if you don't, the government of Ontario is ready to help you with that. And that would be funny if it wasn't so sad, right? So, so sex, what we learn about those things. Grief and loss. Is it okay to cry, right? Sadness is a sign of weakness. Maybe that's what you learned. Um, you're, you're not allowed to be depressed. Get over losses quickly and move on. Stiff upper lip, right? Or what about expressing anger? How do we express anger? Is it okay to explode in anger to make a point? Or is that something that was, that was downplayed in your home? Is sarcasm an acceptable way to release anger? I think so. Oh, sorry. Uh, we're not voting. I forgot. Um, you know, it's interesting. Some of this happens genetically as well. So I was adopted. Mo- many of you know this. And um, uh, please understand, I'm not going to say anything negative about my birth mother But when I did finally meet my birth mother, I realized that my sort of dry, matter-of-fact, sometimes sarcastic approach to things uh, was something that I got genetically from her. People who, uh, you know, who who met her said, now we get it. 
We understand. It's not that, that it's a bad thing. Uh, it's just personality, right? Never happened in my family, and I always wondered where that came from. So we learn about these things. Uh, maybe you learned that you should never be angry, that anger is dangerous, that you shouldn't express that emotion, and you can have all kinds of problems later on if you bottle that stuff up, as we know. Uh, what about your attitude towards family? Uh, were you taught that you owe your parents everything for all that they have done for you? I like that one. I think I'd like to believe that one. What, any parents with me? Yeah, okay. Well, maybe. Or, or maybe you're never allowed to speak of your family's dirty laundry in public. That duty to family and culture comes before everything else. What about your basic relationships? Don't trust people. We, teach, we sometimes teach our kids. Maybe we shouldn't do that, but you know, don't trust anybody. They'll let you down. Don't show vulnerability. Attitudes towards other cultures. We learn this from family. Only be close friends with people who are like you. Hopefully we're not still teaching that kind of stuff. Do not marry a person of another race or culture. Certain cultures or races are not as good as mine. And you can see where sometimes that kind of racist sort of approach can creep in. Success is getting into the best schools or making lots of money. It's getting married and having children. However we define success, we learn from family. And our feelings and emotions, whether we're allowed to have certain feelings or not, or express our feelings, and, and your feelings you know, maybe are not important. Maybe that's what you learned from your family. Maybe that's what you picked up by some of the things that your parents said. So if we, if we want to understand all of this stuff, if we want to break the power of the past, we need to actually think about and identify the impact that our family heritage has had on us. And it's not a bad exercise to take those 10 things and just think about, what did I learn about money and about family and about relationships and so on from, from my family? And how have I carried that forward into my, into my own experience? And, you know, is it right or not? And so we need to think about those things. So it's important that we do that. So first, we need to think about and identify the impact that our family heritage has had on us. Secondly, we need to invest in the journey of reconciliation. Whatever brokenness or whatever hurt or whatever incorrect uh, you know, information we have learned through our experiences with family, we've got to find a way to reconcile those in order to move forward. We have to go back sometimes in order to go forward. You know, we look back at Joseph's story in Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 and 5, it said, he said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph was basically saying, you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. When Joseph's brothers finally realized who Joseph was, they were I mean, they were speechless. Remember it said that? They were speechless. And I imagine they were just a little bit more than nervous. Earlier in the story, they had actually been discussing among themselves together the fact that they were, being, that they were actually being punished for what they did to their brother. And so they were very aware of the fact that there could be some long-term impact for what they had done to Joseph, even in their own lives. And now he was there saying it was him standing right in front of them and knowing what they had done, knowing what, what they had done to him, they were afraid. 
that in Joseph's position of power, the worst could happen to them. You see, what they didn't know, what they didn't know was that Joseph was going to forgive them. And so they were feeling like, man, what we did was so terrible, Joseph couldn't possibly forgive us. That's how they were feeling. They were in this posture of, you know what, we deserve whatever we get, and, and there's no way that Joseph's going to forgive. And we do that sometimes. We try and somehow predetermine what our family's responses will be rather than make the attempt at reconciliation. And when we do that, when we, when we sort of predecide for them, we actually take away the chance for both parties to receive and experience forgiveness and reconciliation. You will never know what will happen unless you reach out and initiate the, the first act of, of forgiveness or of reconciliation. Maybe Joseph learned about the power of reconciliation from a story that his dad told him when he was young about an experience that, that he, Jacob, had had with Joseph's uncle, Esau. Remember those two brothers? And Jacob had been away for many years building his family and his fortune, and he returned to the land where his family was from, but he hadn't seen Esau since he had run away from the family after tricking their father into giving him, uh, you know, Jacob, the family blessing. And so basically he stole his older brother's birthright. And as he got closer to home, he got more and more nervous. And he thought, Esau is going to be angry at me. He's going to, he's going to want revenge. He's, it's going to be bad. And so he prepared gifts to send on ahead. And he went and sent his servants with all of these gifts, and they went to Esau. And, and Esau was a little bit confused when the gifts came. And, and he said, you know, thank you. And, and then Jacob finally came, and they hugged, and it was all good. And Jacob was so shocked because he thought, he thought that, that Esau was going to be angry. But here's the key. Jacob recognized what he had done. And so in humility, he prepared for Esau's worst response. He sent the peace offerings on ahead, uncertain of how Esau would respond, but hoping that reconciliation could take place in the end. Esau had already moved on. Esau had already moved on. And so when when Jacob got there and they greeted each other and they, they hugged each other, there was no problem. There was no issue because Esau a long time ago had let that go. Do you know that that's a great lesson for us. Because many times when we fear that maybe reconciliation isn't possible, many times that is a much bigger deal in our minds because the other person has already let it go. If we would just invest in the journey of reconciliation, we might find out that it's really not as big a deal as we thought. You know, sometimes when you're carrying a grudge and a hurt because of what somebody did to you, and you're not letting that go, you're actually the one who's losing out because that other person may not even realize what happened in that transaction. They may, they may have just moved on and let it go a long time ago. And so we need to reach out and invest in that journey of reconciliation in order so that we can know whether or not there's even anything to, to worry about or not. And when there is something, then we can begin to deal with the problem. Make sense? Uh, Jesus modeled this for us. And he told us very plainly, he said, you have to forgive other people. Because if you don't, there's some very strong consequences. It says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive people when they sin against you, 
Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's, that's great. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, there's a lot riding on this. Colossians 3 and 13, Paul picks up the same theme, theme and he says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So our approach should always be a proactive one when it comes to forgiveness because of the fact that God has forgiven us. And forgiveness has many other benefits as well. Did you know this, that according to a medical study by the Mayo Clinic in 2009, that forgiveness can lead to, here they are, healthier relationships, greater spiritual and psychological well-being, less stress and hostility. How many of you could do with less stress, right? Anybody have high blood pressure in the room? Forgiveness actually leads to lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, anxiety, and chronic pain, and a lower risk of alcohol and substance abuse. And so forgiveness is a good thing, folks. And when we've got stuff that we know has happened to us, and it's back there in our family, and, it's, and, and nobody's talking about it, we need to be the ones who invest in the journey of reconciliation and who go and take the first step. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe you felt like you were wronged, but you've been carrying this, this bitterness over that. You need to go and say, you know what? I've, I'm letting that go. I, I forgive you for what you did to me and invest in that journey. Now, just remember one thing. This forgiveness thing may not always work out like you thought. It's not always happy endings and sugar and butterflies, okay? Uh, sometimes it, it just doesn't always work the way you think. Reconciliation may or may not occur. That is always the danger when there's two or more parties involved. The key is that you are the one who makes the investment in the journey. Once you've made that effort to forgive and to reconcile, then your part is done. Your part is done. If the other person or persons refuse to reconcile, then they're the ones who are the losers and who remain imprisoned by their grudges and their bitterness and their unforgiveness. And so by seeking their forgiveness or attempting to reconcile, you actually take away the power that they have over you so that you can begin to move on in your life. Lewis Smeeds said this. He said, for, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. So to break the power of the past, you must identify the impact of your heritage, you must invest in the journey of reconciliation, and lastly today, you must learn to interpret your story from God's perspective. Interpret your story from God's perspective. This is why I love the story of Joseph so much. When everything was said and done, Joseph had the luxury and the benefit of perspective, being able to look back. He was able to see in all of his challenges over the last number of years this faint thread that in spite of what had been done to him, God had always been with him. And so folks, despite of what has been done to you, God is always with you. God is always with you. And God had a plan for Joseph's life, and he has a plan for your life today. Joseph's hurts and challenges and circumstances moved him toward God's plan all the way along the journey. He just needed fresh eyes in order to be able to see it from God's perspective. And so we get to Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. And Joseph says to his brothers, he says, Don't be afraid. 
Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He said to his brothers, God had a plan all along. And he took your actions meant to cause me harm and he turned them around for good so that, it could be, so that I could be here in Egypt saving not just your lives, but millions more because of the food that is stored up in the face of this famine. God had it all under control. Genesis 45 and verse 8, it says, So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. And so we need to learn that God is writing another story. God is writing a different story. Now don't misunderstand Joseph's story to mean that God does bad things to you or even actively allows bad things to happen to you so that you can do his will. This could be true. I think very, very occasionally this is true, but it isn't always that way. And as a matter of fact, I would venture to say that this doesn't happen as often as you might think it does. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, oh, this terrible thing is happening to me? God, God, why are you doing this to me? Come on, be honest. God, why are you, why are you allowing me to, to, to go through this? Well, you know what? Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes it's just life. I choose to understand it this way. Life brings a lot of things into our path. It brings trial and hardship and suffering and sickness, and it brings good things as well. And, and we need to learn and understand that these things often are just things that happen. No one is actively causing them. They're not punishment or some big lesson or even a test most of the time. They're just things that happen. Doesn't mean we can't learn lessons from them. Doesn't mean that we can't be better for overcoming them you want to think about it as a test. doesn't mean that, that it's not good for us in the end, but I want you to know God is not an angry God who is up there doing bad stuff to you. Can you understand that today? And so Joseph says, God was writing a different story. You were doing all this stuff to me, but God was writing another story. And in your life, whatever's happening with you, I want you to know today, God is writing a different story. We need to understand that, you know, as followers of Jesus, we don't just get impacted by the past from our earthly families, but God has actually invited us into a new kind of family dynamic. Even though our earthly family experience has its impact, we have now been included in God's family. We have become a part of His community because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5 says that God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. Folks, I'm adopted. I know the benefits of being adopted. I was, uh, you know, a baby who, who now I understand and know that my mother did not feel prepared to, to care for. She, she wasn't in that place in her life, and so she did the responsible thing and gave me up. But I want you to know I know the benefits of adoption. God placed me in a family, a family that, that respected God and that believed in godly moral values, a family that raised me to be the person that I am today. And it's the same with your journey you don't just have to be the result of your earthly family. God has invited you into a new family dynamic. He has adopted you as his very own children. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 
It's amazing. And so now in Christ, we can interpret the stuff that happens to us another way. Our stories look different when we are in Christ, and He is in us. The ending looks different. 2 Corinthians 4, I love this text from verses 7 to 9, says, We now have this light of Christ shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay, containing this great treasure. And this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles. We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. You see, with Christ and His power at work in us, life and family and all of its inevitable influence and impact doesn't win. It might knock us down. It may pressure us. It may confuse us. At times, we may even feel like we're being hunted, but we don't let that bother us because we are never abandoned by God. God is on our side. God is fighting for us. And in the middle of your story, in all of the stuff that's going on in your life, and all of the baggage and the junk that you might be carrying around because of your family upbringing, God is working behind the scenes. He is working to make it all work out in the end. And doesn't that make you feel better today? Doesn't that make you feel better today? Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. I pray over every person in this room, God who is carrying stuff, Lord, from their past. And Lord, I I pray that, Lord, as we close this service, as we come to this point, God, in in what we want to share and what we want to do, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will break the bondage of the past and that, God, you will help us to know. Lord, as we identify those things and we invest in reconciling, the journey of reconciliation, and understand, God, our story from your perspective, Lord, we can know that you're doing a totally different thing and that, God, you are working on our behalf. We claim the promise today of Romans 8 and 28 that says, for we know that all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Lord, we know that you are working behind the scenes and you are writing another story. And so we pray, break the power of the past in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. And Lord, for anyone here who's never said yes to Jesus, who's never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that you will give them the courage in this moment to say no to those things from their past and allow you to break the power of those and, God, call them to new life in Jesus Christ, a new creation. The old is gone, the Bible says, the new has come. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, say, Pastor Jeff, I've never accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. I've not made him the Lord, the leader of my life. I believe that today could be your day. And so I want to just ask you, if you say, Pastor Jeff, that's what I need. I need to, to break the power of the past wrongs that I have done, the things that are, that are holding me back, and I need to accept Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and start a new life today. If that's you, I want you just to slip your hand up nice and high. You say, Pastor Jeff, I need to say yes to Jesus this morning. Yes, thank you. Are there others today? Yep, thank you. You can put them down. Anyone else this morning? Just as I take a moment to scan the audience, every head bowed, every eye closed. I need to say yes to Jesus today. I know I want to start a new life in Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for those who have raised their hands. Help them, God, just where they are to pray this simple little prayer and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. 
Forgive me of the wrong things that I've done in the past. Make me a new person today because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And God, I want you to come and be the Lord, the leader of my life. Thank you, God, for those who have prayed that prayer, for the angels who now rejoice in heaven. And Father, I pray, Lord, that in this moment of decision, you will give those people the courage to tell somebody about what they did today. Maybe they can stop by our yes station at the back and talk to Pastor Melanie and get some material that will help them on their journey. But God, at the very least, help them to tell someone about what they did today. And Lord, we celebrate with them. Now, Lord, as we just worship you together, we pray, I pray that even as we sing these words, that you will break the power of past hurts and unforgiveness and the stuff that we carry from family. And Lord, you'll help us to move on today and begin that reconciliation journey so that we can see the amazing story that you're writing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.